welcome. I am joined today by Dr. Terry Thomas. Terry is a teacher at Geneva of uh, New go. Testament and also teaches here at Orchard Hill on a regular basis. We're glad to have Terry. Good to be here. So I brought in the big guns today, uh, <laughs> as in Terry, because we have some really significant and challenging yeah. questions. So, so, but I'm going to start with a question that actually is fairly quick and short. Now, okay. I told Terry ahead of time that I've never seen him answer a question quickly or short in a short manner. So we're going to see how well he does. You have like 30 seconds to okay, answer this right, question. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Uh, see how fast we can, uh, we can do this. this. Not that we're trying to make short shift of this, but we want to get to the other questions. Sure. Here. Uh, and the question is, do people who have died and gone to heaven know what's happening on earth? And it was, can you basically sit in heaven and, uh, and observe what's happening with people on earth? Well, I, I start by thinking this, that if they can, I hope that when I turn out the lights, they have the discretion to look away. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay, so, uh, yes. But uh, here's the deal. As far as I know, I don't think they can. Okay. Uh, that, that would be my, I, you know, um, my sense is, is that there is one person in heaven who sees everything. That that's happens. right. So that, it's that's, not that's sure clear about that. So, uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, what theologians call the intermediate state. That's mm -hmm. what they talk about. That's that time between when you die and when you're fully resurrected, okay? There isn't a lot of information, you know, in the Bible about what goes on and what, it, what it's like during that time for people who have died in faith, mm -hmm. you know? We know that they're with the Lord somehow. It's in an unnatural way, clearly, because they don't have a body, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and there isn't a lot of information about what happens to them until they're restored. Right. Uh, matter of fact, it, it, there tend to be kind of two general theories about it. One is that I think that something called soul sleep that people talk mm -hmm. about. And they think that somehow when you die, you sort of like fall asleep. And then the next moment you wake up is when you're resurrected. Mm -hmm. And so if that were the case, then nobody's yeah. looking and seeing right. anything or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, however, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that soul sleep thing is more from passages that talk about death as being falling mm -hmm. asleep as a metaphor. You know, right. it's like a euphemism for dying is falling asleep. So I'm not quite sure that's, a, that's as easily, you know, you can't get a lot of implications mm -hmm. from that. The other one is, is that there's a kind of consciousness among uh, people who have died. Uh, there's a consciousness that they're with the Lord, you know, that uh, we have some sense that, you know, in the book of Revelation, we hear about martyrs crying out, you know, mm -hmm. I, I would think you'd have to be somewhat conscious to do that. Again, that could be a metaphorical thing to be saying that there's a, there's a demand for justice in the world that will be met by those who didn't meet, see it when they were alive, okay. you know. So, so, so your quick answer is no. no. Uh, there's a couple different, different options, and sometimes this might even resolve, revolve around the idea that a lot of times when people use the word heaven, they conceptualize it as floating around in the clouds somewhere with this ability to see what's happening as opposed to maybe a more robust biblical view, which, which would have this idea of an intermediate state right. leading into the new heavens, new earth, right. where instead of floating around in a disembodied spirit, able to see what's happening here, I'm actually engaging in all of the things that I engaged in at one point before in the new heaven, new earth. Right. And, and so the, the emphasis in the Bible clearly is not about that intermediate state. Right. It's about, like you said, it's about life now and the life to come, that mm -hmm. is the fullness of life, you right. know. And 
you know, so we, we should be happy about that and not be concerned and speculate right. that much. You know, I, there is one passage that is a little weird. You know, when uh, uh, Saul goes to, to the witch of Endor to try to talk to the mm-hmm. prophet, you know, and there's this sense in which he talks to him, okay? Uh, I would say this. Generally speaking in the Bible, it tells you not to try to talk to people who are dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a bad idea. You know, uh, discouraged. He was making, he made a mistake in doing that. Mm-hmm. He goes to this witch to do this. And, uh, and we don't know whether that's just a description of what Saul thought he experienced or whether it was real uh, or, or if it was a deception of some kind, uh, you know, a demonic deception of some kind that he bought into. But even that, I think that's maybe the f- only one where there might be some kind of thing like that, but it's in a, in a context. Well, some people would probably argue, and now we are taking time on this question. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's all good. Um, the, some people would argue, is it Luke 16, where you get the whole um, go tell my brothers yeah. about what this is, and if I had known, mm-hmm. uh, you get all of that that seems to give some idea of, of knowledge uh, between, but I think you could easily argue that that is a story yeah. uh, more, that's teaching something about the reality of our choices now than it is Plus it's more parabolic. It's right. more of a Jesus, you know, He's, he's telling us something that necessarily didn't have to happen to make a point. Right. Yeah. So. Right. So. So all in all, I'm saying, uh, no. Uh, although here's the deal. Angels do, take, mm-hmm. you know, see what you do. And I think that they're appointed by God to, to care for you. I think what we, what we, uh, the rationale between do people see me is sort of like, can I still have some sense of having a relationship with mm-hmm. these people that I love that I've right. lost. Yeah, know? can I speak and they'll hear me? Yeah. Can I I- communicate in a way that even if I don't sense it, they sense it? Yeah, and I would yeah. say this, your, your point was exactly right. The, the, the beauty and fullness and depth of the relationship that we'll have with them in the restored kingdom is nothing compared to if somebody could hear you now and mm-hmm. when you said something, and you won't think it means right. anything anyway. Yeah, okay. Well, let, let's, uh, let's talk about this, and this is a, a, a challenging question. Mm. Says, I heard the podcast on homosexuality. It really hit home. My question is, how do I, a Christian, um, or what I do feel um, when it comes, what do I do or feel when it comes to what to do when both of my adult children, one who's gay and one is transgender, admit to basically or say that that's where they're at? Needless to say, I'm broken and lost. I always will love them. I'm not sure how God wants me to interact with them in this situation. The shock of the news that it had brought me to depression uh, and back. I was hospitalized, uh, basically said, uh, you know, the, 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 the trauma in a sense of yeah. kind of feeling the, the weight of those decisions uh, became personally traumatic to, to, this, to, to this person. So, yeah. so, so, so how would you um, speak to that? So somebody who says, I believe my Christian conviction leads me to say, I'm not sure I endorse the lifestyle um, but at the same time, I want to love my kids. Yeah, I, I, a couple of things. One is, if it's really a heartbreaking situation, you know, if you have two, especially if you have two kids, and these mm-hmm. are the two kids, and you're you're struggling with this issue, you know, with their decisions and so forth, and uh, and you can tell this person is because it's it's driven them deep into mm-hmm. a clinical depression, which is you know made them. Thank goodness they've sought treatment for it. That's a that's a great thing at that point. Uh, my, my sense is that this question, it, it, it has a little bit of, a, a, of a, what you might call the, the point of entry through issues about sexuality. 
but it's really more about parenting in a way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but to start with the first part of it, I would say, you know, understanding the experience of your kids, and, of, and this isn't just of people with kids who have these friends or uh, people that you know, you know, uh, other family members, I think is really important. I, I, I had these two books, one by a guy named Preston Sprinkle, it's called People to be Loved, mm -hmm. and it addresses uh, issues about homosexuality, and he makes a point of saying, homosexuality is not an issue, it's about people. You know, mm -hmm. I think this is a great, and it's a good, you know, research-based, biblically, you know, appropriate uh, response to trying to talk about homosexuality. The other one is by a guy named Mark Yarhouse, uh, and it's called Understanding Gender Dysphoria, Navigating Transgender Issues in, mm -hmm. in a Changing Culture. I, I would say people would be really encouraged by looking at one of those books to be able to talk about these issues and the subtleties of it. It's not, you know, it's not some you know, like black and white kind of thing. Matter of fact, I think the issue about homosexuality and transgender issues, two different issues, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, two different set of, of problems related to trying to discuss them and understand, you know, what's going on. So I, I would say that, that it's important to make that distinction. But th then I go this way. I'd say, well, what, uh, what, do you, what do you expect of parents with their kids? You mm -hmm. know, what do we expect of parents with their kids? And on the very bottom line, we expect them to love them, right? I mean, we expect to say, hey, look, I'm going to try to continue to love my kids no matter what they do. Now, when they're younger, now I, I always talk about the, the, uh, the responsibility of parents to be uh, people who, who give their kids roots, but also give their kids wings. You know, mm -hmm. that it's a process Sounds by like which... A song. It, it does sound like a song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, then you got to <laughs> heal those broken wings. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's another song. But anyway, you, uh, you know, so you got you to gotta figure out how do you do that, you know? And oftentimes what happens is you realize that the things you tried to root them in, when they took wings, they decided to leave behind. So, you know? so, so I'm guessing for a lot of families where this issue comes up, whether, and I agree, there are different issues for homosexuality or transgenderism. Right. But what often happens is, is a child will come home and say, I am gay, um, I've always been gay, or I became gay, however they yeah. phrase it, and you should now accept this. Right. Um, and, and somewhere in here, there, there's, a, there's a challenge between what does it mean to love, and, and I think the, the homosexual community, at least, has done a, a, um, a public relations job in terms of saying, if you don't affirm my choice, then you don't love me. Right. Um, and, and, and that seems to me to be a false dichotomy. I agree. And, and it's unfortunate because it, it doesn't allow for, for clear conversation. And, and what I would say is, you know, if, if your child went into prostitution, and I'm not in any way equating homosexuality and prostitution, right. I understand the differences. But if somebody said, I just always enjoyed sex, I feel like I was born for sex, this is a way to make money, uh, I, I have no issue with it, I have no moral issue, um, and it's a good lifestyle for me. Right. As a parent, you would love your child, but you might say to them, I'm not sure that's your best choice. Yes. Um, you might even use the word sinful. Because, um, because that's what parents want. They want the best for their kids. Right. And they and, never give up on and, that. And if, and if there was a community of people saying, well, you know, that's an archaic viewpoint. It's, it's steeped in bad religious tradition of the church. 
Um, it's not in step with culture that has free sexual moorings. And if somebody tells you you shouldn't be a prostitute, uh, they don't love you. Right. And, and the point is that I'm trying to make is that I think a parent um, can say, I want a different choice for you, and I don't even agree with your choice without not loving their child. Now, uh, obviously, you can debate whether or not they should have that view or not have that view. I, I understand that that can yeah, be sure. a debate. But, but my point is I think people should be able to have different views and still love. And I think that's part of what creates this tension is, is the dialogue has become if you do anything other than throw me a party, um, then, yeah. that, then you aren't loving. Right. And, and that seems to be an unfortunate position that, that parents and people in general are put in. Yeah, I, I, I would say it's, you know, that uh, the other kind of, uh, if you want to call it a false dichotomy or, or a reductionism of some kind is this, is the assumption that somehow people are their sexuality, that they're one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. that, that's what defines them, you know? Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, you got a kid, you know, this is your kid, and they choose to this lifestyle. You don't say, well, that's it, you know, or some, or I, you're, that, that defines all that you are now. That's just mm -hmm. a part of who somebody is, you know? And I think that's what parents need to remind themselves. They love these kids for all that they are. They want the best for them for all that they are. They don't want them making bad financial decisions. They don't want them texting and driving. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all kinds of things that you might say, they want the best, you know, at that point. And I, I would say that if that becomes the case, if they realize, if they can keep that in the forefront, you know, that that will, that they love their kids, they want the best for them, they're not one-dimensional people, they want to be able to have that continuing, nurturing, loving, you know, encouraging relationship with them. Even if they can't do it with everything in their life, they want to be able to do that with their, the fullness of their mm -hmm. life. I think that's a, a really, really good thing. I think, too, that uh, I, I'd want to remind myself as a parent that uh, I, I'm responsible to try to develop a life uh, that is reflective of the fruit of the Spirit, you know? And what are some of those things? Patience, kindness, mm -hmm. love, self-control, and the things that I say, you know? Uh, I, that kind of person, this is who I ought to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So in my mind, this is, this is, these are my like three closing things I would say, of what I would say to somebody in this situation. One is, I think you've got to really dwell on self-care in a certain sense. You need, to, you need to do the things that are going to draw you deeper into the gracious relationship of God. You know, you've got, to, you've got to do everything you can to be reminded just how good God is and how gracious He is and how powerful He is because He's the only, body, only person who can actually change somebody, mm -hmm. you know? And he, he can do it from the inside out, which is hard to do, okay? He can change from the inside out. And here's what has to happen in this situation. I gotta be changed. If I'm the parent, I wanna be changed from the inside. I wanna be mm -hmm. able to continue to love people, that, whoever they are, that I don't necessarily always agree with, you know? And if I think that somebody's behavior needs to change, uh, it's not me that's gonna change it. You know, I'm mm -hmm. gonna say, God, I trust you to do that. And I think that we, need to, we really need to work to draw near to God in a relationship like that. I'd say the second thing is, is that I'd want to be in a, in a community of support, perhaps about this particular issue. You know, uh, we talk about people who are struggling with something in their family, you know, whatever it is, and we say, hey, it, it'd be good to have some friends or to be in a situation where you could have some dialogue. This person's already set up is sought out professional counseling, which I think is a great idea in terms of self-care. 
But I think, uh, you know, uh, being involved in a regular conversation with friends or, you know, with, with folks, and that's where providing information, you know, we're dealing more, more with the subtleties and issues of particular particular things would be more helpful to help you understand and to, to re, you know, reshape your mind about the way you're going to approach, you know, and do those certain things. And then I think the other thing would be, I would be aggressive in my, uh, in my relationship of communicating love to my kids. Mm -hmm. And I would, uh, you know, and, and I think what that means is I'd up the communication. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. I'd up the, I wouldn't make it one dimensional. Right. You know, but I would up the communication. And I think those would be things that would help that anxiety. Yeah. About and, and I would add a couple things to that. Mm -hmm. I think I would challenge the false dichotomy that sure. says I um, can't love you if yeah. I don't agree with you. Um, you can prove and, that um, and by the way you act. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, although because of the, the culture on that issue that you're going to have to challenge that personally because otherwise... Um, the idea simply that, that you don't throw the party in some people's mind will be you don't love. Right. And, and so I would agree, practice love at every turn. Um, I don't think you ever make a mistake leaning into the relationship. Right. And I love how you said that, you know, you aren't going to bring about change. I think a lot of times parents who get in this situation, anything with their kids that they don't, they don't think are great, think if I can just say the right thing, you know, if their kid drinks too much, they think, well, if I just say the right thing, right. if I just uh, figure out the right moment to confront it or to say something, then I'm going to, uh, people do what they want to do. Sure. At the end sure. of the day, your kids have this Can't thing control. called free will. No. They are going to do what they want to do. And you have done your parenting at a certain point and you say, great, yeah. now you do what you want to do and I'm going to love you regardless of what you choose to do. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to have any opinions anymore. Right. But, but in general, your opinions um, become less welcome as your kids mature on everything from the way they dress to the way they raise their own kids to the jobs they take to the way they spend their money. Uh, you know, you name it, yeah. your opinions are less welcome. And so don't, don't have an overly realized view of what you should speak into in terms of their sexuality at a certain age either. And, and, and that may sound counter to some people, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, if your kids choose to drive a car that you don't think is safe right, or something, or you don't like, you don't think is representative of their station in life. <laughs> at some point you, if you're a wise parent say, you know what? That's their decision. I, right. I'm not going to say anything about that because to keep hounding on it is to not recognize that our relationship is, is now changed from a parent child to, to a parent and an adult child. And those are two radically different relationships. And, and so sometimes I think, th think parents in, in all areas try too hard yeah. to still maintain the, I can speak into my child's life in a way um, that, is, that is still in that sense unique rather than now as a, as a peer, as a friend, as, as somebody who has been your parent in that relationship. Agreed. So, so um, we just have a, a couple minutes left. So instead of jumping into the other question that we had talked about getting into, um, let, let me just ask you one. this question. I know, and it's a good one. So we're going to have you for another podcast on that. In fact, uh, we might have Dan Shields host that one with you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so here is, uh, here's a, another question somebody asked, and, and um, we didn't get to it because of time in a different podcast, but I think you can do this one in three minutes. Okay. Um, so good somebody luck. said, my, my son wants to come home 
uh, with his girlfriend that they're not married and our daughter, I think it was, daughter or son, and wants to stay in our house. And my wife and I are disagreeing about whether or not they should stay in the same bedroom. Uh, so, so this in some ways goes to the same parenting yeah, issue. Sure. What wisdom would you give to a parent who says, should I insist that my adult child who comes home sleeps in a separate bedroom than their um, sexual partner who is not their spouse? <laughs> three minutes. Three, three minutes, minutes, Terry. Three minutes. <laughs> Actually, now it's two because I took a minute to ask okay, the question. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I would say this. I'd say, first off, you know, you, you have the same issues as we were talking about, about parenting. At a certain point, you know, you have to relinquish having, trying to have control over your kids. You know, it, the ideal situation is, is that you rooted them well enough that when you decide to give them the wings to have their own control, that they chose wisely, okay? But they don't always choose wisely. Uh, does that mean you can go back to the, trying to reroute them, you know, and make it? Maybe not, you know? Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, you, could, you can say this. You can say, hey, listen, in your own context, sort of on your own time, you, it, it'd be like, for instance, if you had kids that used what we would call colorful language, you know? Mm -hmm. And you said, oh, oh, hey, maybe you think you can use that with your friends or out, you know, on the street, something not like that. Not in our house. Not in our house. Not in dinner. I don't want to hear that, you know. And I think you have a right to be able to set some limitations about your own experience at that point. So, I, it, again, it's a, it's a touchy one. It's one where you got to, on the one hand, you got to say, hey, I, I think I have a right as a parent to be able to set some limitations about what my kids can and can't do with me you know, mm -hmm. or, or in my home context. But I also want to say, hey, uh, I, I realize I can't change them right. myself either. I, that's something God can do. And let him speak to that. Yeah, and this may not sound like much of an answer to uh, somebody who asked that question, but I think the context matters. I don't think there's a completely right or wrong answer to this. I right. think sometimes if you, by challenging your child, know that you're calling them to account, um, that might be right. At other times, it might be right to say, let's just get them here and love on them right where they are. And I think um, a lot of times what we want in decisions is we want something to be clear, right or wrong. And what we really need is discernment. We need the, the Holy Spirit and discernment to be able to say, well, in this particular situation, what's wise? And, and when you're talking about adult children coming home with, uh, with somebody and wanting to, to stay in your house, there may be a time to say, look, I want you to respect my house and live separately while you're here. And there may be a time to say, great, we're glad to have you. And I know that doesn't feel like much of an answer other than to say, I think that doing the hard work of discernment is actually uh, often the, the better path than saying, here's my rule and I always follow this every single In time. In context, you're right, is a big deal. Say you have younger kids. Mm -hmm. You may say, hey, listen, for the benefit of these younger kids, I'm right. still trying to root here in, in a particular, right. how about giving me a break? Right. You know? uh, yeah. So right, that would, be a, that would be one of those. And, and the path that, that the child is on themselves. Are yeah. they flaunting it? Are they, do they, you know, or are they just kind of in a lost season where they're wandering and need some love and touchstone? I mean, yeah. those things all matter. So, so great. Definitely. Terry, thank you. And thank you for spending part of your day here. If you have questions, send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be happy to address. <laughs>